Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, so it must be time for Are You There, God? It's Kira and Phil. Must be. And I'm Kira. And I'm Phil. And I am an Episcopal priest, the priest at a church. I don't know where I am. St. Anne's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Mulligan, Mulligan, start all over. You are that, and I am, uh, and I work. Uh, I am a priest at a church called Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio, the Queen City. Um, not quite as cool. To, I don't know. Music City is a great name, but Queen City is pretty great too. Yeah, I mean the Queen. What is it? The Queen is it the Queen this of the, the Midwest? This, the so Queen of Ohio. Is, I love that you asked this question because it's meaningless and useless. Um, <laughs> so, so te- the original term was that Cincinnati was the queen of the West. Yes, the oh, West. Yeah, right. As like Westward. Well, because, so Cincinnati was, for, Cincinnati was, um, was first settled by the white man in the 1780s. Like it's, it's an, actually a very, very, very old uh, uh, city for America. Um, yeah, wow. And, right, so, and for the Midwest, when you think about Midwestern, like when you think of Ohio as Midwest, um, which most people do, even though when we are in the Eastern time zone, um, but you think of Ohio as the Midwest, um, but we were a city that was founded very early on, on what would have been the Western frontier of the, of the, um, of this new nation. The, the then, the, the then the, right. United States. That's right. That's right. Before it was in decay. And, um, and we were on a river. So we were, you know, river boats would come down and it was a spot for trade and it became a, a very you know sort of a, a a going concern and so it was it was a very cosmopolitan city and it was the queen of the queen of the west um i've recently uh they still they'll still refer to themselves as the queen city um i will i will oftentimes um moder- modify that by saying queen of the midwest i've heard others say that i didn't make that up so i don't want to take credit okay for that. My friend Annie calls it the queen of the Midwest, the queen city of the Midwest, the crown jewel of the Buckeye state. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's where we get our name. I also used to live in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is also referred also to- Also a riots. queen city, yeah. I've lived in but two But that makes cities. sense because it's named after a queen. I guess if you think that makes sense, Kira, okay. <laughs> I like that one makes sense and the other doesn't. Like, like it makes sense that, you know, well, I can't believe they call New York the Big Apple. There's not even any apples there. I mean, whatever, whether who cares what we're the Queen City. So, anyways, um, I just like having a good title. I also like I live in a town. I live in a city that like is a joke to a lot of people. Like Cincinnati is like a punchline to people, like Cincinnati or or Ohio is certainly a punchline to a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like um, I mean, not to not to pit. Ohio cities against each other, but I feel like Cleveland is more of a joke. Well, Cleveland, like more of a punchline. Sure. Um, and well-earned. Um, <laughs> it's one of the top 10 cloudiest cities in America. Um, and it's just not as nice as Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, but anyways, that's a whole other conversation. I don't want to, I don't want to, some would call Cleveland the mistake by the lake. I, I was gonna say I, that is I don't want to say that. I, I have prefer, heard. Yeah. So so but like but like you know, like there are those of us, there's those of us hip kids, all of us hipsters who've watched the good place. And there's that famous line in like the first episode, like literally the first or second episode where she finds out there's a good place and a bad place. And she's like, 
can't I just go to like the, isn't there like, can I go to a medium place like Cincinnati? You know, and, um, yeah. and so, and so you see things like that happen. Um, and Ohio gets a lot of what, well, anyways. And yet I just find the city to be totally delightful. Like we just love living here and it's a very easy place to live. And we like the things that are around us and the things that we do and the people and the, and I like my job. And so it's always, so I always try to kind of like make sure to kind of like stick up. Now the here's city. the secret. Medium places are the best places to live. <laughs> I know like what's happening in Nashville now, actually a lot of Nashvilleians aren't psyched. No, and a lot of them are are leaving. Right, honestly. because they're like, this I mean, is too much. Especially as people like retire and stuff. You know, I had my former senior warden and his wife uh, moved to a, a smaller city in North Carolina because right. they were like, it's like Nashville was 30 years ago. Right, they're like, I don't need to live somewhere where the traffic is. So there's a part of me that's like, when people, when people um, say negative things about Ohio or negative things about Cincinnati in particular, I'm just like, okay, believe that. Don't, don't come. Don't come here. No, yeah. we got a lot of, I'm not, I don't think no one should ever come here. People are coming here already. It's happening. Like, right. That he's growing, not shrinking. So like, don't, don't, if you don't want to be snooty, don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> Stay somewhere else where there's snooty people like you. That's fine. Go there. You know, right. but, but uh, we're all just trying to live. Turns yeah. Out. I feel like, um, you know, I, I spent two years of high school in Michigan and uh, applied to Oberlin College and was looking yeah. at a lot of colleges yeah. in the kind of Michigan, Ohio, Indiana uh, part of the of the country. And I always sort of I, I so I have a soft spot in my heart for for those places. Yeah. And though I've never I've never lived in Ohio. Like I feel like I I could live in Ohio. Like there are some places where I could not live. <laughs> Say more about how you. No, I, you know, I've, I, I've made it no, 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 uh, no secret of the fact that I've tried to recruit you several times. Yes. Uh, so your, your people who are watching this should know that uh, she must really love you. Cause I have tried, I have tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think, and I think once you break the cycle of like, so like when I was 16, I moved from Southern, sunny Southern California, center of the world mm -hmm. to those who are, to those who live there. I mean, people from Southern California literally like, how could anyone live anywhere else? Right. <laughs> I just think that like people from Texas do, like people from New York do, it's a Boston. There's a mentality in Chicago, San Francisco. There's certain cities and certain places where you're like, how could anyone possibly live anywhere else? Mm -hmm. When I was 16, I moved to New Hampshire. And once you've broken that seal, you're like, and found out that there's like stuff, you know, yeah. it, it changes the game quite a bit. Well, I had a friend um, in college when I was living, went to college in Houston, who was from uh, New Jersey, and her grandmother was like, when are you going to move back to civilization? Yeah. Which was defined by like the Acela corridor, like that was civilization. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, so we were back in California in June, and I had th three different people ask me when we were going to come back. Wow. Not if. Not if yeah. But like, Honestly, it's, just, it's just, it's like, it's like, well, and it's weird. Cause I'm like, this is like, I'm happy. Like, right. Do you, do you not want me to be happy? I don't understand. I, I mean, every place has its like pros and cons. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, and, yeah. and I, my husband's family is all in California and, um, 
I I love California as a place to visit. I think I that's a place that I would have trouble living. I've lived there for more than half my life on and off. And yeah, I have trouble living there. <laughs> I keep leaving on purpose, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's never not once has it been an accident that I left. Right. Like, never, You're like, oh no, how oh, did no I what am I doing in North study? Carolina? How did this happen? Right? Like, <laughs> no, every single time I left, it was on purpose. The fact that I keep going back, I think makes people think that like somehow there's this thing that it's like, oh, he just keeps coming back. He can't stay away. Um, um, no, I actually don't think that because I don't think anyone thinks about me that long. <laughs> that would be like a whole line of thought that you'd have to have about me. Just, I don't, I'm just thinking all about Phil and his life choices today. <laughs> do you ever think that like when you walk out of the room, people forget you exist? Um, like, do you realize, do you think people think about you when you're not around? Yes and no. Like, you know how sometimes, like, I'll be around people, maybe they go to another church, and they'll say something kind of, um, like, a little snarky or, like, a little kind of teasing about, like, their priest or whatever. Right. Like, little quirks that their priest has. And I'm like, oh, no, what are people saying about me? (laughs) What do they say? What do they say? And I'm like, I used to, I mean, the rector I had in college, like, he would always wear his reading glasses like really far down on his nose and we would kind of like tease him about that and stuff and I was like oh no what are people what do people say about me like what do they like tease me about or roll their eyes about that I do (laughs) I'm always shocked when I find out that anyone has had any conversation about me when I wasn't around I am convinced I'm no I'm like I'm not like trying to make get sympathy I'm just like it does my mind doesn't like I'm like you like like oh this person was gossiping about you and my first thought was like they thought about me like Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. They were saying awful things about you. Right. So they thought, they thought about me. Me. <laughs> like they were like talking about them when I wasn't there. Like say more about that. Like it's awful. It's a syndrome. But, but I, I remember like this time it was a little like this time last year, because this pandemic has been going on our entire lives. Oh. Um, like I, I, I logged into like Bible study or something. And they were like, someone was like, Hey, we heard you had COVID. And I was like, you heard what? Like we heard that you have COVID and I was like, who'd you hear that from? Like, Oh no, it's going around the church that you have COVID. And I was like, okay, well, first I don't. Secondly, if I did, I would send a message to the whole congregation telling them that I have COVID because there's no shame in getting sick. And I'm your priest. I'm going to be open about if something's going on. Right. Yeah. It's a pandemic and it's a virus and people get it. But underneath all that, I was like, hey, people were talking about me. <laughs> ah, it's really, it's a sickness. Good morning, Betsy Berry. I'm so glad that you're here. I don't know who, if there's anyone else that's joining us today so far. We know Hopefully that we just have just a, just a few later. folks. I know we were a little bit on the, we didn't know if we were going to have this today, but ah. we went ahead. Ah. We are going to take three weeks off. Uh, we're going to be off for the rest of November. And then we're going to jump back in after, uh, once Advent begins. Um, and I, and I'm, I should, I think we're going to start at a different time. We may, yeah, we may be making some adjustments. So, um, all for the better, a wider, wider audience. Yeah. We have, we have been told repeatedly by numerous people that our, our time of day is not most conducive to being people being able to jump in. It was was a time of day that was maybe more conducive when we were on a firmer kind of lockdown situation. When I was, yes, when we were all locked down, uh, when I first started this up and we were all locked down and not going anywhere, 
11 a.m. on a Monday sounded or on a Tuesday sounded great. Like, I by the when we were scheduling uh, our time during like the the like the like the lockdown portion, right? Mm-hmm. I I literally was like, we were not just me. We were putting things together like, how do we make sure there's something every day to mark the day, mm-hmm. and to yeah. make sure that people in the church feel connected and not disconnected not weekly but daily right like x thing happens and, on wednesday and, and so right this other thing happens on thursday and yeah and so we had sunday through thursday we had some kind of digital offering across the board mm. just because it was like and we still do well actually some of that's it's like a vestigial tale um some of those things are still there um some aren't um but anyway we might change the time of this well we've got andrea rogers with us this morning uh, Andrea is one of my vestry members and she was, she was uh, actually, you'll appreciate this. She was on the search committee and she was one of the people who flew out and met me in California. Oh, wow. And, but she's been lived in California before. So she's like, she wasn't like wide-eyed about California. She was like, Oh yeah, California. That's gorgeous. Anyways. So you should come to Cincinnati. Like it was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. This is amazing. Okay. Anyways. Right. <laughs> before we move on to our main topic, can we please look at your mug? Yeah, um, this is my favorite mug. Yeah, it is a skull, as you might see. It's um a hand made uh, a pottery concoction <laughs> uh, from a local artist, and um, she actually was doing a pretty swift business last year, yeah, kind that- of around this time, and um, it was hard to to get some of her pieces. And so I, I was very happy that I managed to snag uh, this mug. And then a friend of mine, as a as a wedding present, sent me um, a, a kind of shallow bowl of hers as well that also has a, a skull, the same kind of skull in it. So now, do you and you know this local artist? I've not met her, but she did. Um, I mean, I bought the mug and on Etsy, and she delivered it to the house. So. <laughs> you're like it's you but i didn't meet i didn't meet her (laughs) still pretty cool still pretty cool Um, she's local i mean she's in east nashville um i mean that that is another thing that i love is local art yes like i love local stuff it makes me super happy um just like sense of place you know Uh, i love that stuff uh andrea snarkily says however i do wonder when you're moving back there's no going back, Andrea. There's no going, no going back. back. Only going forward. So, and uh, and uh, I don't, it it ain't on my horizon. I'll tell you that. If it's out there, it's not something I can see. But, and our friend Mireya is with us, uh, always, always watching. You guys are going to love our questions today. Good morning, yeah. everybody. Um, so last week, Phil said, we should talk about Jesus. I just, he's my favorite. <laughs> To some extent, we talk about Jesus every week and all the time, but like specifically, you wanted to like hone in more deliberately. So yes. So um, how personal should I get right now? Um, Let's get personal. So we were texting, we were messaging yesterday and uh, I was in the drive-thru of McDonald's trying to get breakfast. Oh, what's your, what's your McDonald's breakfast order? Uh, I'm an egg McMuffin gal. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like the sausage, egg and egg and sausage, egg and cheese biscuit. 
biscuit or okay. bacon, egg and cheese biscuit. I go for the biscuit over the McMuffin. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't and, put the McMuffin out. And we were kind of, and we're, we're talking about what we might, how we might focus today's conversation. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think a priest said to me once or some wise person kind of said to me that we all are sort of, um, attracted more strongly to one member of the Trinity over the others, like yes. kind of just naturally, or that's kind of where our natural devotion goes towards. And, and Phil, I definitely have pegged as like, you're a, you're, and most Episcopalians, most kind of mainline Protestants probably fall in either the Jesus or the first person, father, parent, uh, part of the Trinity. But mm. Phil's definitely a Jesus person. Yeah, I'm a Jesus guy. And I'm yeah, more I'm of a, a first guy. person of the Trinity person. And you're, but more like, of a, you're more of a you're more of a father. I'm more of a son. Yeah. And then and we got some Holy Spirit folks. There's some Holy Spirit folks. Yeah. Um, I think they're a little more rare just in our tradition. We don't yes. focus a lot on that, but I think that's a real um to have those people in our midst is a real gift to kind of remind us of oh yeah the action and um movement of the holy spirit uh the holy spirit's harder to pin down mm -hmm. i mean they all actually are if you're serious about it but the holy right. spirit the holy spirit like i when you look at the creeds right i knew andrea was gonna say holy spirit i know you're an i know Aww. you're a I knew, I almost said it before she typed it just so she knew that I knew. I know you're a Holy Spirit gal. I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I think that um, when you look at the creeds, which are some of my favorite things, um, like the father, it's like creator of everything, done. Jesus, here's the list of things that describe Jesus, right? Yeah. Here's what Jesus know why. We, I mean, actually, maybe not everyone does know why. We're not gonna go into all that today, but it's placing Jesus in a time and place as a historical figure, who's flesh and blood, but also connecting him to divinity and, and trying to make sure that like, it's every line of that is trying to like, kind of like sweep away a little bit of heresy and just get a clear picture of who Jesus is. Right. Um, and then they're like, um, and then they're like the Holy spirit. And then it just lists things like they're like the Holy spirit, the, the Holy Catholic church, like, the communion the of saints, spirit. the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. <laughs> it's literally just like listing off. What else do we need to say? Which I don't think is fair. I mean, I think all of those, when you really think about it, all those pieces are connected to the Holy spirit. Yes. Yes. But it feels different. Here is when we talk about God, we mean the origin and source of all things. Mm -hmm. When we, what, and, and when we talk about Jesus, we also are saying that that is God, but we're saying it in this particular way. And then when we talk right. about the Holy spirit, we connect the Holy Spirit to movements of things, to to the body, to right. You're talking to, about like birds. You're talking about fire. You're talking church, about water, and then when you talk about and then when they're listed, in, and then when she's listed in the creed, she's listed alongside of like the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. None of those things are specific like historical moments. They're more like they're not concepts, but they're they can feel like abstractions. Yeah, the Holy Spirit gets treated that way, and we are a Reformation tradition. That is, like the people who are attracted to the Episcopal Church historically are are people who are um, very literate because it's a very literate sort of like it's a it's a word based tradition. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit defies a lot of that. Yes, and so we're also a tradition that likes a lot of rules. <laughs> I do rules. I do. Yeah, rules are great. Even to break them, because then breaking a rule is fun. It is way more fun to break a rule than for that not to be a rule at all, right? Like if mm -hmm. you're doing something that you were gonna do anyway, 
if you were going to do something and you just did it, that's one thing. But if you did it and found out you were breaking a rule, you'd be like, yeah, what's up? Yeah, I broke that rule. Anyways, so I'm a Jesus guy. You're a first person of the Trinity type of, type of gal. I am. Um, but we want to talk about Jesus today. Um, you had a great idea for how we want to approach this conversation. Yeah. What happened to you? What, ha what happened to you? What happened? There's a, a lot. Um, but I was saying that one of the questions that I, I honestly think about a lot that was asked to me in part by a, by a member of the Commission on Ministry as part of my discernment process uh, was the question, who is Jesus to you? And I think that's a, I mean, the answer to that, I think for me has changed, especially since I first answered that question. Um, yeah, yeah. But we sort of thought of that as like a grounding, a grounding question. Who is Jesus to you? Obviously we're Christians, so Jesus should be someone to us, right? right. <laughs> it's like, oh, some guy, you know? <laughs> Right, who's Jesus to you? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know the guy from the book. Yes, yeah. my Lord and Savior. I, I that stopped the show. I didn't mean to. Yeah, no. So who, um, Phil? Who is Jesus to you? I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> I do think it's funny that they ask this question to people who are going through ordained ministry or going through the process of ordained ministry. One. It is an important question to be able to answer, but two, like a lot of people aren't at a place where they know how they, they haven't been asked it before. Right. And being asked something helps you kind of figure it out when you have to answer, it helps mm -hmm. you figure it out. Right. So first and foremost, what I want to say, I'm not stalling first and foremost, what I want to say about, about who Jesus is to me is first and foremost, he's a real and living being like yes. Jesus is a real person who currently is alive. Um, um, not who was, but who is, who was and is and is to come as it were. Um, but, but there is a historical figure aspect to Jesus. Uh, we have stories told of the time in which Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth on earth, actually living uh, in the way, in the manner that humans do on this earth and doing human things, um, walking among us, born from Mary, um, uh, you know, suffered under Pontius Pilate, uh, ate and drank and was merry, uh, was also miserable and lonely and sad, um, had a lot of friends, had those friends leave him, um, experienced a, a adoration and betrayal, experienced joy and sorrow, uh, was arrested, was tortured, and then was put executed publicly in a humiliating fashion. Um, this is all like, there's that Jesus who is Jesus. And also, if the stories are true, was resurrected on the third day and there and is alive currently mm -hmm. alive and i i say that as my preface because because i like rules as you said <laughs> what i like what i like is when when we confine ourselves to the facts like when we say okay these are the things that we hold true to be true about jesus and then and then what right here a bunch of Christians that we know and love will be like, well, nah, I don't know how to handle that. Like, I don't know how to handle this resurrection thing or what to do with it. I don't really know what I believe about that. I, I don't know what I believe about a lot of things day in, day out. But the church holds that this thing is true. And here's what I would say. If we say it's true, then how does that affect your life? Yes. So 
since we hold true that Jesus is alive, how does that affect my relationship with Jesus? And what I want to say is, first and foremost, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is someone with whom I currently have a relationship mm. and with whom we as the church currently have a relationship. Now, I want to be careful there because the whole there's a whole strand of Christianity that is really big in the United States of America in the 20th and 21st centuries that says uh, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus and invite him into your heart or else you go to hell when you die. Right. And me and me and my Jesus theology. Me and my Jesus. Jesus is my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I, um, I had a professor in seminary who would always chide, uh, chafe against that song. Um, I walk in the garden alone, you know, and, I, yeah. and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. And the things that we say is as the, the, the joy we share as we tarry there, no other has ever known. Um, she was just like, well, that's not true. Um, you know, like, like, like <laughs> there's a, there's a corporate relationship with Jesus. And, and so, mm -hmm. so, so on some level, when I start to talk about Jesus, it gets too big because I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is God incarnate, which means that my experience of Jesus that is personal is also one that I'm having with the, with God, mm. but I'm having this relationship with a person and God at the same time. And then I start to go all metaphorical, right, Kira? Like I go to that place of like, which me, you know, Jesus, not metaphorical, that's not the right term, um, um, uh, symbolic, which isn't the same as metaphorical, where I'm like, Jesus is the one who connects us to God, which is true. Yes. But again, what does that mean for me today? Mm -hmm. So like today, what that means, like Jesus, who is Jesus for me today as a living being, means that today Jesus is the one, when I read scriptures, I don't go, oh, Jesus once said a thing. I'm like, what is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to me? Yeah. Like, so when I see Jesus um, push back against someone, I allow myself to feel pushed back against by Jesus himself. Mm. When Jesus holds someone accountable and I'm reading it and I feel a little like the tingle in my ears, a little burn behind my eyes. I'm like, oh gosh, what is Jesus saying to me right now? And mm. um, and so, and, and beyond scriptures, I have, I have heard Jesus tell me he loves me. Mm. Not all the time. I'm not going to pretend like I walk around talking to him all the time and that Jesus and I are just in ongoing conversation. Like, I want to be careful how I talk about this, but it's also real for me. So like, Jesus has spoken to me and I, and I, and I want to know, like, and that that's affected decisions that I've made and, mm -hmm. and, and choices that I've made about my life. And then one last thing, and then I'll stop. The church also says that, that the church is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear that to me, whenever you say Christ, you mean Jesus. Mm -hmm. So like there are some sort of strands of sort of postmodern or sort of whoopsie doopsie Christianity where they'll talk about the, the Christ separate from Jesus. But Jesus was and is and is to come and Christ is always Jesus. And so when we say we're the body of Christ, we are saying in some way we as a people embody Jesus presence in the world, not just, not just um, um, uh, metaphorically stand in, but like we embody Jesus in the world in some way, which means yeah. who is Jesus 
part of the way that I answer that is in part of the way that I understand Jesus is in my love that I give and receive with you as my sibling in Christ, in how we care for the church and what we see the church do. Um, and I might be verging into Holy Spirit territory there. And if you're, and if, and I think that's right because I think the Trinity, when you try to break the Trinity into distinct three body persons and in ways that you like, you can be, we can sometimes be, we can sometimes overstep our bounds. Right. Of course, like all, you know, we, we are full Trinitarians here. No, no heresies. We don't want to, uh, <laughs> when we speak of, of three persons of the Trinity, we are also aware that all three are, are one and one yes. in three. Yes. So, so there's, so, but anyway, so I'm, I think the thing that's blown me away is, um, Jesus, what, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is, uh, God's love incarnate, not just was God's love incarnate, but still mm -hmm. is God's love incarnate, which means when I experience love, I believe that I am experiencing my relationship with Jesus. And that is something that I, I think is so, that just makes my heart sing. That, that's the thing, that anytime I experience love um, um, and a sense of belonging or accountability um, that, that calls me in and draws me in, um, uh, I, I, that's where I see Jesus. Um, I think that's all I'll say. What about, okay. yeah, we'll take a breath. Hold on. <laughs> this time last year, one of our listeners, Kathy Baggett told me to ask my kids like, about Jesus mm -hmm. and see what they said. And I, I went to one of my kids, I think it was Paige. And I said, what's one thing that people should know about Jesus? And she just goes, well, he's God. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, that's my girl. You were like, I'm the best parent ever. <laughs> she's, not, she's not wearing shoes. She hasn't eaten in four days, but she knows. <laughs> No, that's, that's right. Anyways. Okay. So for you, for Kira, mm -hmm. who's Jesus for you? Um, you know, I think when I answered this question, when it was asked to me by the commission on ministry, I, I maybe lied a little bit. <laughs> oh, say more about that. Well, I think they, I thought they were looking for a very, um, as we were kind of talking about like that, like Jesus is my best friend kind of answer. And, um, I don't know if I necessarily, that's kind of how I answered, but I don't necessarily know if that is true yeah. to me. Like I'm, um, I don't always necessarily feel that like closeness with Jesus in that kind of like, Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is always with me. Um, and I, I mean, I honestly, like I'm envious of people that sort of do, that's not a, a slight on, um, that feeling of closeness with Jesus. The more as I've kind of developed, or I don't know, I don't know if it's a development, but it's just a journey in my spiritual life. Um, I guess I would say to me as, especially as we're heading, we're, yeah, I don't know about you. We're starting to plan for Advent. I'm starting to think towards towards Advent, um, the incarnation is always so 
powerfully moving to mm. me because God, like God, <laughs> who created everything that is, who animates everything that is, became human, like and limited God's self. And I mean, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't want to be human sometimes. Like I, I smell and I have to feed myself. Like we're not, times the, a day. we're not the best. I, <laughs> I, you know, was it's like, we were like plants with anxiety. Like, I mean, it's, it's not a great, it's not a great thing to be human, honestly. Um, You're like, and, God could have like joined together with a sloth and just been chilling, <laughs> just chilling. Um, but that God loved us so much that God became like one of us mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus mm. and, and rescued us from sin and death. Like, whoa, <laughs> you know? um, did you ever, God, you did not have to do that. I that seriously, that is like, you know, I, the, um, and when we talk about first John or not John, first John, John one, the opening of John's mm. gospel, mm. uh, that the Jesus as the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Like, I know it just gives you chills, right? Every time. And then, and then God, I, the, um, Tabernacle. the translation in Eugene Peterson's Eugene Peterson's translation, which I think is lovely is that God pitched his tent among us. Right. Yeah. Like God moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. Like, and that's what Jesus, that's who Jesus is for me. Like that God became human. Like when God did not have to, because God, (laughs) because God loved us so much and, and wanted to show us, you know, I mean, as we kind of say in our Eucharistic prayers every Sunday, like God sent us prophets, God sent all kinds of of messengers and, and signs and symbols. And we just didn't get it until God sent God's son. And, um, that, and the way like Paul talks about Jesus being the way that we Gentiles are grafted onto, um, the the olive tree. Yep. Of Israel. Yeah. The tree and become adopted children of God, Mm. uh, is just, like uh, I'm going to get all like teary and emotional it's thinking about it right now, but that to me, <laughs> that to me is sort of who I know that's maybe a little bit bigger of a picture of kind of who Jesus is and what Jesus does in, in my life. Um, but it is, that's kind of where I, I connect with, with Jesus. I love it. Oh, you go right to the, you're like, you were like, um, What's the things that connect the bones to the muscles? Was it ligaments or something? Like ligaments, yeah. <laughs> you like went to you like went straight to the ligaments of like our relationship with God. Like you like Jesus as the thing that the connecting, like the thing that makes us experience it in a real and practical way. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so uh. hey, if you're listening and you're watching and you're on our chat, you're welcome to type in on the side where you, who Jesus is to you. We won't grade you on it. No. And we will only judge you silently. Um <laughs> I can't say I won't judge you. I've met me, but um, I was just thinking when you were talking about that, when I could picture like Jesus showing me like, okay, so the father and the spirit and I were talking about you all. And it turns out you're a real mess. And we're all like, you were talking about us. I know. <laughs> what did you guys, we were a mess. Say more. Say more. Um, but you were, but you were talking about us. 
Okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, no, the idea of us being that God cares. Yeah. At all about us. Yeah, like, I mean, God has the whole cosmos, the whole everything. And, um, you know, that that phrase from the Psalms, like, what are we that you are mindful of us, mm. like that you made us a little lower than the angels. Um, truly, truly mind-blowing. Just galaxy brain over here. Andrea Rogers spouting good theology, human and divine and lives among us as Kira stated. Yes. Love it. I love it. The being among us thing has changed me. Um, um, Hebrews changed me. And my first study of the letter to the Hebrews uh, uh, in seminary, I took a whole class on it. Okay. And, I love um, this. This is like, I'm so excited because a lot of people don't really like the letter of the Hebrew letter to the Hebrews or Hebrews whatever you want to call it. They haven't um, read it. And then they haven't I read it. it. And they haven't read it. You got it. You can't. <laughs> I was, I was, I was in seminary studying Paul's letter to the Hebrews and I messaged a former seminarian whose name I will not repeat. Um, and said to them, like, oh, what are you, you know, they said, what are you working on? I said something about the letter to the Hebrews and their response was, I'm not a big fan of Paul. And I was like, okay, where well, do I start with this? Right. <laughs> okay, well, one, Paul didn't write this. But two, not a big fan of Paul. Like, I really think I, you and I could do a whole thing on how Paul got, gets a bad rap. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, but that's a whole separate conversation. Anyways, I want to talk about what Andrea just said. Andrea, I'm going to jump in on this. But, but Hebrews, this, this thing that, that the let author does is um, connects, shows Jesus as the connecting point between God and humanity. So, and specifically, this is important to me. The whole idea of Jesus connecting us to God and, and atoning for our sins and, um, and, and making us one with one another and with the one who made us is not about us believing the right thing. It's about Jesus. It's not like Jesus made it so that if you believe the right thing, then this is true. Mm -hmm. It's that Jesus did a thing and now it's done. And now yeah, we like, live in the aftermath. It doesn't matter whether you believe right. it or not. You're like, I, I don't believe in God. And I'm like, oh, okay. This isn't like the never ending story where if enough people stop believing God disappears. Like this isn't Tinkerbell where like a, a, a divinity dies every time you say, I don't believe in fairies. Like, like God exists, whether we believe or not. And Jesus loves us, whether we believe or not. And Jesus did something for the, that, that affected the entire cosmos, whether we believe it or not. Like our believing doesn't change what God has done for us. May change how we experience it, cool, but, but not what's been done. And, and, and why that matters to me is in Hebrews. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I, the thing that blew my mind is... Um, the best way that I've ever heard it described is by there's a there's a commentary on Hebrews by a guy you've heard of, a Presbyterian writer and minister named Tom Long. Mm, yeah. And preacher. And he wrote it. He's famous for preaching. He's a good preacher. He wrote a commentary on Hebrews for the interpretation series. And he is describing and I've he, he, people have heard me talk about this before, but he was describing what it means that Jesus became one of us. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus became one of us, what did it look like? Like, like a, like a homeless 
like a homeless itinerant working uh, Israelite, you know, um, in in a under a colonized empire. Yeah, backwater. None of the stuff, right? None of the stuff that sounds like cool for God to show up. Right. Is despised, is is persecuted, is arrested, abandoned, tortured, and executed publicly. Uh, not great. Not a great thing for God. Tom Long says, because of Jesus, because of the what Jesus has done, what he how he's lived, because of Jesus, we can never again say there but for the grace of God go I. Mm. Oh yeah, you've you've because, I've heard you say this before. He says, because of Jesus, we when we see dire and terrible situations, we are forced to say, we are compelled to say, there because of the grace of God goes God. And that has completely shifted. Like for me, who is Jesus? Jesus is God's utter solidarity with humanity in its lowest place, which is amazing. Amen. Right? So when, and so like I, this, this hit me, I remember like, this is, this is what I'm about to say is, um, could be triggery for people and it's sensitive, right? But I remember like, you know, uh, I remember I preached a sermon about Sandy Hook mm. right after it happened about the, the, the massacre for those who are like Sandy Hook, the massacre of the elementary school children. And one of the very good questions is where is God in that? Mm-hmm. And my belief is that uh, God was there being killed. Mm. That in Jesus Christ, God is experiencing every single one of those deaths that Jesus means that God isn't just watching our suffering from above, but experiences every bit of our suffering alongside us and not symbolically, but like practically and actively your suffering. God does not deny God's self the experience of your suffering. Mm. Not as a passive observer or as someone watching a movie going, that reminds me of a time something happened to me, but as someone who's in the midst of the event with us. So that's, Jesus is also that for me, and that's big, right? Yeah, so um, my congregation, the church building that was built in the 1860s was destroyed in 1998 by a tornado. And, uh, you know, the big, beautiful, neo-Gothic, like, building was completely flattened. Yeah. Uh, The Tiffany stained glass windows, the fancy wood pews and work um and now there is a sign or it's etched into stone on a labyrinth that says god was not in the tornado god was in our response Hmm. and i think a lot of people look at that and say like oh in our in our response in at the neighborhood coming together and helping us build which is true but i think god was also in the response of grief and of loss and of of devastation at this place that had been people's spiritual home where people had been baptized and married and buried and had prayed and had been blessed um that's a that's a huge loss Yeah. yeah and uh so you know i think it's not only the that god was in the coming together of everyone and helping rebuild and all of those kind of things that we like to point to like um, the can do stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
um but that god was also in in the in the grief and in the loss and in the horror and terror of seeing a building that seemed to be so strong just completely and utterly flattened and our our neighbors just up the road um at the united methodist church are in a similar place right now they've learned that they're going to have to completely tear down um their building and rebuild uh after the tornado in 2020 in march 2020 wow so um it's a very hard emotional thing yeah um yeah. And I, I relate more, I mean, even though I had never saw, I've only seen pictures of the old building, I, you know, but I relate really strongly as the pastor to this community to um, the parts of the Bible that are talking about like the destruction of the temple yeah. and the, um, the loss of, you know, when the temple gets destroyed, like the loss of, of the ritual space and yeah. kind of how do you, how do you keep on keeping on when the center of your religious life is gone i mean it's devastating yeah and i, I mean when people are like oh it's just a building like no that's not true <laughs> it's not true it's true and it's not true you know i mean people are like oh the church is not a building that's true and but like also, also sometimes it is yeah there it's a space that is hallowed by prayer especially um if it's the prayer you know especially if it's an old building you know you've had generations and generations and generations of of prayer and candles and incense and it it soaks into the building in a way that's hard to um to recreate go to the go to the church of the uh you know go to the church of the resurrection in in jerusalem oh yeah with its with its you know 1700 years of pilgrimage right and tell me it's just a building i like i triple dog dare you yeah I, so i, 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 I get i get that if, a, if i get that if a catastrophe leveled it tomorrow god would still be here i i i promise i get that and also a bunch of people made it and for thousands of years or for a couple thousand years people have been worshiping in a specific space guess what it, it has a it, it carries with it something you know you know all that yeah so i wanted to say actually i forget what you were talking about but i was like i want to talk a little bit about my experience in the holy land yeah because i went to the holy land with our friend meg phil's and my friend meg yeah and some other some of her parishioners and some other clergy friends and um i like i was really nervous about going because i was like what if i don't have this like big spiritual experience like what if i feel nothing <laughs> what, if I, what if i go to these holy places these places that have been so important to and you're just like seen it yeah <laughs> just like something to kind of check off my list yeah um but there really was for me that experience of like that jesus was real and i mean i know i like i believe mentally that jesus was real um but in some way it's like yeah yeah you know G jesus is real all these stories we read in the bible like they more or less happened um but they feel very distant also yeah like what you know they they could be they're also just really good stories some of them um and to kind of be in those places 
whether or not Jesus was actually born in this precise, you know, church or, you know, um, but to be even in the area and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the disciples, um, to be, to see the geography, to see, um, the sea of Galilee to and be on a boat in the sea of Galilee <laughs> and to look over the hills and realize that for all the different things that have changed, these hills were here and they looked like this. And Jesus was on the same body of water yes. looking at these same freaking hills. Yes. It's a powerful thing. That I think I was not, um, I was very worried that I would not have like a, an emotional or spiritual uh, reaction to yeah. my experience in the Holy Land. And I did. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, I had the most amazing experience in the Holy Land and blah, blah, blah. You have to go. And so I was like, uh oh, what if I go and I don't? Um, yeah. Does that mean I'm broken? <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like when so many people tell you to watch Ted Lasso and you're like, what if it's not as good as everyone says, except yeah. it's Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a priest. I would feel awful. Yeah. Um, but to kind of, yeah, to, to see it was there a specific place? Was there a specific place that leveled you? Um the the beach where Jesus had the barbecue with his disciples post-resurrection, I was just like just I almost dropped an F-bomb there, it just really messed me up. Um like in a in a good way yeah i'll also say that for me part of the spiritual experience was seeing so many other pilgrims from all over the world from all different right. christian traditions and and feeling very connected to the body of christ across time and geography yeah and um and all of the things that divide us yeah because we were in that church um where the barbecue was no i don't i don't remember exactly what it was called um yeah. and there were pilgrims who were, had obviously come from kind of some african country and i not to uh, i feel terrible saying that but uh they were uh, the women were dressed in very um traditional kind of african garb yeah. dressed very lovely and um yeah. very nicely and we were all in their praying in our own languages and mm -hmm. it um to think about this being the place where jesus didn't just appear to the disciples but like sat down and had breakfast with them um was really yeah. a, a moving thing for me mm. well i love that Jesus, man. I, the the Holy Sepulcher. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And still to this day, I, there's nothing. I've never experienced anything like that. Uh, and um, yeah, I actually don't even like talk about it much. And I talk a lot. <laughs> but it was yeah i've i've never known more i've never known more fully how much i believed in jesus 
than I did just being in that space. I was just like, okay. Not even like, oh, I guess this is pretty cool. Or like, um, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'd like to contemplate. Yeah. Like, people like me, I'm always in my head. And this was a complete body experience. Mm. It was really cool. It was really cool. Um, one brief last thing, because it's I, I want to come back. Andrea said some really good stuff on our side. I haven't actually, Andrea, I've never actually seen Out of Africa, which needs to change. But I love that. I love, you're making me want to watch it. But Andrea points out, she says, you know, Jesus is human and divine and lives among us. If this is true as humans, we can experience Jesus in each other and divinity too. Yes to all of this. And I was going to say, you know, some of the some of the really formative theologians of like the second and third century, some of the people who really were like influential on Trinitarianism and, and on the creeds and on all these things that we now kind of look back on and some people get a little nervous about because they, they seem so, you know, um, polemical or they, whatever. They were like, like Athanasius, for example, like he said, like God became man so that we could become God. Mm. I mean, plain and simple. He's like, like the idea of us somehow being lifted up to, to divinity um, is powerful. That, that, and I think, I think that we tend to think that means if whatever that thing is, it, that means sometime in heaven later. But I, I, I don't know why we are, well, I know why we are afraid, but I don't think that we, I think we should push past our fear and be able to recognize the divine presence, God's indwelling in the people right in front of us. Yeah, for sure. And, and in ourselves. And I know we have to be careful about that because we don't want to become, you don't want to go to a place where you think you are God and that you can do no wrong. And, um, I was watching. Uh, I was watching at my friend's request. I watched the the, the remake of the, ba the the Battlestar Galactica uh, series. I don't know okay. if you watched that. I have not, though. I know a lot of people who really um, like it a lot. Right. It's not like it's like people like are. Like, have you seen it? Have you seen BSG? Ah, and uh, um, and there's there's a lot of theological stuff in it. Um, and uh, like I think the creators are were pretty pretty devout Mormons, and so there's a lot of sort of Mormon theology and Christian theology and sort of ideas. Huh. Okay, out. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so there's a lot of, so they deal with spirituality and religion a lot, a lot. And questions about belief are all over this series. But there's this like one character who I hate so deeply, like from beginning to end, he's just my least favorite character. Like, and they try to redeem him and I'm like, nah, I still hate him. He's like, I hate him forever. But he goes down this religious <laughs> path and he has this moment of realization where he's like, we all are connected to God and God loves all of us and God's God forgives all of us. And God like gives all, like it's all grace essentially. And I'm like, say it, maybe I'm going to like this character. And then the next place he goes is he's like, we're all perfect. We've, oh, we've, no. <laughs> we've done nothing wrong. And I'm like, Oh, you lost me. Like that's the, like that, like the, the delicate balance of our acknowledging God's presence within us is that we recognize God's presence within us, but we don't mistake that for our own flawlessness or our deserving of that indwelling. That it's, I also don't, we've talked about this before. I don't go in for the whole unworthiness, worthiness or unworthiness. I just think it's over here. God right. is pleased to dwell among us, to pitch his tent, 
to, to tabernacle alongside humanity and within and among humanity in a way that is mind-blowing. And I just, that's the thing I keep coming back to, right? God is here. Um, that's why Christmas is my favorite season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easter's really close, though. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I, I, this is very like, I guess, Episcopalian of me. There are some yes. schools of thought that say like Episcopalians are like particularly focused on the incarnation. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but um, the incarnation always really like just messes me up, man. Uh, yeah. Like not only did God become human, God was like freaking born. A, a dumb little baby. A dumb little baby. Like God was a baby. <laughs> Mary wiped God's ass. <laughs> Period. Like that's a thing that happened. Right? That has that? to wipe itself. I I I think of yeah, no, it's 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 insane. And um the 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 vul the will the willingness to be vulnerable on God's part. Yes. To be completely and utterly powerless in some fashion by choice when all we try to do is get more power it's the best I just, it's also I like even... so like advent builds up towards christmas like the time before christmas first of all everybody's in on it even if they're not religious which i know you're not supposed to like but i love it like everywhere <laughs> you go it's on its way and all of it advent is like building towards christmas and it's very exciting but Lent isn't building towards Easter. Lent is building towards Good Friday. Yeah. So true. like, there's this whole buildup around Christmas where you're just like, this thing's happening. When do I get to put my tree up? When do I get yeah. to do this thing? <laughs> and with Lent, the whole time you're supposed to be like, all I can think about is that he's going to die, which I, we should think about. It's very sad. But like, um, but like, there's no real buildup. There's no joyful anticipation for Easter. And so the mm -hmm. way that Christians try to fix this it's like, oh, but it's the 50 days of Easter. So once Easter starts, it's Easter season for seven weeks. Nobody pays attention to that. And then we're all just tired. We're all <laughs> just tired. It does, no, it just doesn't work. It's not the way it's supposed to. So anyways, I love Christmas season. Um, I can't wait to put on a big thick coat and pick out a Christmas tree and the whole bit. I'm excited for the whole thing. I love it. Oh. There's the line in a little town of Bethlehem. Mm. And we probably shouldn't get too much into Christmas, but we're going to take a three week break. And then when we get back, we're going to be talking all about Advent. We'll definitely be talking about Advent. <laughs> when in the line in a little town of Bethlehem, written by an Anglican priest, an Episcopal priest, uh, um, where he says, where we sing, um, the hopes and fears of all the mm. years are met in thee tonight. And he's talking about the city of course, or the town, but he's in my mind, he's also talking about Jesus himself, like talking, he's talking to the city or to the town of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. like, like the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee in, in this little town of Bethlehem. But I also always feel like he's, we're also singing directly to Jesus. Like in Jesus, Jesus is the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. Jesus 
shows up in that space where all of our hopes and all of our fears are commingled and all of our laughter and all of our tears are, are side by side. And that's where Jesus shows up. That's what I want to spend like the rest of my life on. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, so good. It's awesome. I love it. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're past time. So one last thing, uh, Kira, what you've been listening to? What have I been listening to? Um, you know, it has been a, uh, I've needed some like comfort food music lately. Yeah. Uh, so when that happens, I turn on my nineties country playlist or the nineties country playlist on Spotify and yeah. just like listen to it while I'm making dinner and I, and it's, and it's great. I love that. One of the things I love about my husband is that he, he'll sometimes be upstairs doing whatever he does while I'm making dinner. And so I usually kind of just, I sing along, I do whatever I want to do. Yeah. And he'll come downstairs and he'll be like, I love hearing you sing. Oh, <laughs> I love so, that guy. Yeah, he's great. Oh, man. I love it. All right. Uh, very quickly, um, there's a new Neil Young single. Yeah, Neil you were talking about Neil Young. Song of the Seasons. And it's a six minute long, really, really like bare bones acoustic Neil Young song. And I'm like all in, always. Anytime he's got his shaky voice going and like it's very sparse and it goes too long, I'm happy. I'm very, very happy. Um, <laughs> I mentioned ELO, but specifically the Electric Light Orchestra album, Out of the Blue. Just listen mm -hmm. to that album beginning to end. It's like, a, it's perfect. It's perfect pop album, perfect. Um, I was listening to Al Green this morning because why wouldn't you? Um, right. And then finally, the last thing I wanna say is there is an album, one of my favorite Frank Sinatra albums is called um, Frank Sinatra Sings for Only the Lonely. And it's mm -hmm. the saddest album ever made. I was like, yes, give me, no, give it's, me, it's, give me all this it's, stuff. Listen, so he's made four exquisite albums that are all sad songs, like four, not one. I mean, he's made other ones too, but there's four that are like, there's his first one was called In the Wee Small Hours, which is, I actually have the record up on my wall. It's one, it's probably my favorite. It might be my favorite Sinatra record. Um, there's one called No, no One Cares. And there's one called Where Are You? All sad stuff, just literally song after song of sad songs, Kira. Uh, but songs for only the lonely is the saddest album <laughs> I have ever heard period bar none, nowhere else to go. And I listened to it. I, I took my dog out for a walk and listened to it last Thursday from beginning to end, walked out the door, hit play, walked back as the final song was finishing. It was chef's kiss perfect yes. now i haven't yet listened to your cultivated christian uh spotify playlist yet i'm going to i promise <laughs> but i want you to check out that really really sad frank sinatra album oh i am on it <laughs> it's so sad it's so sad yes it's oh it's not even my favorite my favorite is in the wee small hours but songs for only the lonely like it's just like you're like this is the saddest thing Oh, I love it. Okay. On that, on that fantastic note, we love you all. Thank you so much for being with us. 
Uh, we are going to take a three-week break. We'll let you know when we're coming back. We'll let you know what time we're coming back. Um, but we will be coming back uh, for Advent. We're going to do a little Advent. Uh, we're going to do some Advent programming, which I'm very excited about. I think we're going to have some guests on. Um, and we're going to, you know, do the thing we do. Do the so, thing we do. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. Kira, thanks for making everything better. Oh, you stop. I will. I'll stop right now. <laughs> See you guys in a few weeks. Okay, bye. Bye.